In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. You'd think that we have progressed as a society and as a people, and in many ways we have, but in this, currently there's more slaves now than at any time in human history. People that are being owned by other people. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host for today's show. Hey guys, I'm really excited about today's guest. This guy is a, a warrior. He's championing the cause to free people from slavery. And man, I just, I can't stand bullies and I love justice. Uh, so guys like this are my heroes. Wait till you see what this guy's doing. But before we get into that, guys, I want to share a man law with you. And this man law, again, these are supplied by you guys. So keep those man laws coming. When we use yours, uh, if you hit us up with your address at info at meninarena.org, we will send you some meat of swag just to say thank you. Today's man law is from our an old podcast guest, uh, Rich Gorecki, and he says this. It may sound I'm laughing because it's so obvious, but man, uh, there was a learning curve definitely in my early age. But he said this: always lift the toilet seat before peeing, and always put the seat and lid down when you flush. That is great wisdom. Thanks so much, Rich. <laughs> you young guys, man, I'll tell you what, learn that lesson. Every so often I forget, and, and my wife is pretty good at reminding me. So uh, thank you so much, Rich, for that uh, reminder to always put the toilet lid down and always lift it up again. Hey, guys, I want to talk to you about a hero story I got this week from Ed B. Ed said this, I'm a seventh grade public school social studies teacher. Education is my calling from the Lord. He says, uh, I often feel a little beat down and shut out by folks at my church who don't understand that I'm trying to spread the gospel and make a change from the inside. I've been through four or five different episodes. I want you to know how much I appreciate the way you talk about teachers and the system. You're not painting with a broad brush. You say things like some teachers, some schools. Anyway, he goes on to talk about this. You know, I really do have a, a problem with the overarching uh agenda of academia but i'll tell you what guys i gotta tell you this i love the public schools i almost became a public school high school teacher i coached as you know i coached public school high school and middle school football for 15 years my sons all went to public schools 
My dad was a public school teacher. I love the public schools. Uh, I really, really do. I, I know that there can be a lot of darkness in those schools. So, man, any of you teachers who are in those public schools, grinding it out, being a light in a dark place, being salt to your students, I'll tell you, what, you guys are difference makers. You know, I told you I got saved because of my high school football coach who led me to Jesus. So, man, I love our public school believers out there that are getting it done. So Ed, thank you so much, man. You are one of my heroes. Also want to give a shout out to Sam out in Reedley, California, man. These guys are heroes for the cause of Christ. So Ed, make sure you hit me up at info at manarena.org with your address so we can send you some swag. Hey guys, I'm excited today to bring on our guest, my new friend, Alan Smith. Alan's 59 years old, lives and is married to, lives with, he lives with and is married to, there's there's a novel concept nowadays. Anyway, his uh, beautiful wife, Sharon, of 37 years. So Alan serves as the executive director for Saving Innocence. Look that up, guys. It's an anti-human trafficking organization focused on the recovery and restoration of child victims of sex trafficking. With his position, Alan has a backstage pass to the horrific exploitation of children. As a man, Alan has seen how important his male voice is in combating this dark reality in our society. Today, we'll be discussing his new book, Fight For Me. And before the interview, guys, I got to tell you, we were talking, and, and he, I was telling about our audience, and he said, I guarantee you, you have guys listening who are who are involved in the purchase of what would you say? What did you say? The purchase of sex? What did you say? Sex. I said sex buyers. They're sex buyers. Sex buyers. There it is. And I'll tell you what, if you're listening to this today, you better, I'm hoping that you knock that crap off because that is horrific and wrong, but we'll, we'll deal with that later. Anyway. Hey, it's great to have on, have you on the show, Alan. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Jim, it's an honor. I, I just began sort of following you in the last couple of months and i'm a fan already so uh i love being on the show with you and i love what you're doing well hey man we are a fan of any man who fights to protect the weak and the innocent and the helpless and you guys are going to war and we've had i think one other guy on bo quickle with vigilante justice and we've had him on but but you're the next guy and this is uh such a big topic and I'm hoping that from today's interview, Alan, that we've got guys, first of all, that repent. Second of all, that guys say, I want to lean into this. I want to partner with this organization. I want to be a part of the solution. We believe, Alan, when a man gets it, everyone wins. And so we've got guys listening right now that are just looking for a hill to die on. And man, I hope that this would be one of those hills that they can die on because this is a great cause and we need men to step up. But before we jump into the interview and talk about your book, uh, fight for me. Can you give us some personal you know, personal life? Uh, tell us a little bit about more yourself, uh, what you enjoy doing. I already know you live by Magic Mountain, so don't rub that in my face. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, uh, phenomenal. And and just technically speaking, the full title of the book is called Men Fight for Me. Uh, it's it's a book for anyone, but the target audience is men. And we'll get into all. Oh that. man, <laughs> we'll get into all that. Um, yeah. I see that right behind you, and I don't. I don't know how I missed that in the bio. I read the book. Yeah, I'm just not a details guy, so I guess I missed that big giant men word on the front cover that says men. <laughs> yeah. Well, and honestly, honestly, we added the word men late in the process. It was just fight for me for the longest time, and our our book consultant said add the word men in big bright letters um, because it's like, hey, men over here, we have an important conversation, 
And we wanted to show up in men's searches and things when, you know, men are looking to buy stuff. Well, and to answer your question, you read uh, quite a bit of my bio there right off our website or the book or something. But yes, I am 59. I've never been outed on my age on a podcast before, <laughs> but uh, I embrace it. And um, I do have two, ki- two kids. Uh, I had the, the pleasure of raising both a son and a daughter. So I got sort of both sides of the equation and, um, you know, coached all the teams when they were little and uh, been married to my you, I think you said my beautiful wife, I agree, of uh, 37 years. So uh, we've kind of been there, done that. We did all the Little League stuff. We did all the high school stuff. We did all the college stuff. And I actually performed the wedding ceremony of my son to his outstanding wife uh, almost five years ago. So um, in my in my free time, I lead this organization called Saving Innocence at savinginnocence.org anti-human trafficking agency. And we've specialized and focused on the recovery and the restoration, as you mentioned in the intro, of these these young children that have had their lives turned upside down. And it, what a privilege and an honor it is to be in that space. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you on the show. You know, I was confused about the title, I think, uh, because I didn't spend my time on the cover. I spent my time on the inside of the book. And uh, that title, Fight For Me, that comes from a young woman named Rachel. Will you tell us the story behind the title? Yeah, I was at a, an awareness event at a church on a Saturday about three or four years ago. And my co-author, Jessica Midkiff, was on a panel. She's a child trafficking survivor. She tells her story in the book and speaks throughout the book. But on the stage with a number of other people was a woman named Rachel. I didn't know her at the time. Since then, she's become a friend. and. Um, she really brought this whole thing to a new focus for me. Uh, so many of the kids that we take care of have experienced a lot of early childhood abuse. Maybe they're already in the foster care system. And a lot of a lot of men and women, but a lot of men and, and dads can sort of immediately tune out when they think, well, the, this isn't for me because my kid is comes from a good home and, and uh, you know, not in the foster care system, et cetera, et cetera. And Rachel went on to tell her story. She, uh, you know, was a 4.0 student star of the volleyball team. She was a homecoming queen, two parents. You know, she had everything going for her, had the childhood. And she would say that every child uh, should have and went away to college. Right now, she sounds like my daughter. Yeah. Probably the daughters of a lot of the men that are watching this. Like everything's going great. And, um, you know, her junior year at college, she's not a 12-year-old foster kid. She's a junior in college coming from a great home. She gets approached by a fraudulent modeling agent a well-spoken man in a three-piece suit with a business card, got her some paid modeling gigs, uh, offered her to join his agency. What she didn't know is that he was about to become her trafficker and her exploiter. And um, right after she signed the normal paperwork you would sign and all your you know W-2 and all those things, um, she gave her parents' home address here in Pasadena. Um, she gave the address of where she was going away to college with her roommate there. And the trafficker says, okay, here's your first job. Go into that car over there and have sex with the guy in the car. She's like, what? What are you talking about? And he says to her, bitch, I own you now. Don't let me do anything to get anybody hurt. And he starts threatening to kill her parents and her roommate if she didn't do exactly what um, she was required to do. And she's in the middle of telling all that, in the middle of telling her story and the trauma and how dirty and shameful in her words that she had become and she had lost the will to fight. And she said, and it was one of those things 
Jim, you know, if you're sitting in church or somewhere and there's maybe a crowded room and you feel like they said something that was directly meant for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in this crowded room. And she says, I could no longer, I could no longer fight for myself. I needed someone to fight for me. And that lit me up. That's where the book was born. In that moment, I wasn't thinking about writing a book, but I was thinking, I'll fight for you and you and you. Right now, the trafficking survivor on the stage saying, I gave up. I waved a white flag. I, I needed someone to fight for me. And when you stack that on top of the biggest part of this problem is men. Most of the buyers are men. Most of the sellers are men. Men are indisputably the problem. Now, okay, here's my lane. I'm a man. Uh, I need to use my male voice and speak to men about this issue and this problem and challenge us as a species. We're a broken species, guys. Yeah. We got to do better. And it's not just the guy who's going down the path and buying sex physically in a room somewhere. We're going to expand that definition through this podcast quite a bit. We're all part of this problem in one way, shape or form. And we need we need men to rise up, get off the sidelines, get into this fight. And because uh, there's survivors saying, I needed someone to fight for me. Like, who's ready? Let's go, guys. Yeah, this is uh, I, I've read a lot of books. I mean, I read a lot of books. And um, when you see the you you included the pictures of these women, your co-author and all these women, Rachel and all the others. And, you know, they're they're beautiful. They're vibrant. They, their countenance is beautiful. What I mean, their countenance is beautiful. They're vibrant. And, and you hear their stories, and it's absolutely horrifying. It's it's horrifying to know that these little gals, you know, well, they, I think you said they average age is 12 years old, are having mo multiple partners a day, like 10, 12, 14 partners a day. It's just appalling uh, when you read this book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and now they're out as world changers, but there is a recovery process and a restoration process. They are dehumanized absolutely treated as subhuman, branded, bought and sold like a commodity, and literally raped a dozen times or more every single day. My co-author in the book uh, shares some of her story, quite a bit of it, actually. And at one point in the book, she says, I never had a day off because I, I asked her, it's like, do you ever have a day off? Like, you get vacation? They're like, when you're active in this life? Nope. And she went on to say, well, actually, my day off was I only had to work half a day. That was like, quote, my day off. I mean, can you even imagine the complex and compounded trauma that a child is experiencing by being dehumanized in this way, bought and sold, oftentimes violently? It's, it's absolutely horrific. And I know you're a man of faith, Jim, and I know that this podcast, uh, you know, shares scripture a lot and those kinds of things. I'm a fan, as I said. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't need to do too much of a Bible study to understand where kids are in the heart of Jesus. Correct. In the heart of God. Where do children exist? Absolutely. Right next to him. He's, he says, you got to be like them if you want to be with me. <laughs> and so um, you don't have to be even a man of faith to care about this. But men of faith, you fellow believers out there, this is as close to the heart of God as I can think of anything. We have to get in this fight and fight for these kids. Well, you know, it's interesting. You, you made a comment in passing, and I want to go back to it. You said, oh, they're branded. And then you continued. On an initial listening of that statement, a guy would think, oh, they're branded, they're labeled as a this. No, they are physically branded. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, to, to go along with the theme of their being dehumanized, they're being considered a piece of property. Um, when you own something, typically, 
uh, oftentimes, depending what it is, you put somehow your name, your branding on it. You know, I've got some friends in Texas that own cattle and they literally have a branding on the on the butt of the cow. That's kind of their their name and their logo so that nobody can steal that cow. And if the cow runs away in a windstorm, they know where to return it because they're the owner of the cow. Yeah. So in the same principle is applying these traffickers will brand their their property in the form of tattoos in the form of a tattoo it's not a, like a hot iron branding but they will tattoo their their logo their call sign their nickname usually in a very visible place on their neck oftentimes even their face on their body multiple places to make sure everybody understands who is the owner of this property so you can imagine what that does that alone this is called the modern day slavery You'd think that we have progressed as a society and as a people, and in many ways we have, but in this way, there's more, currently there's more slaves now than at any time in human history. People that are being owned by other people. Some stats say 40 million globally being trafficked, being owned by a third party. Well, so yeah, these kids are branded. They got tattoos all over their body. And well, the good news, the good news uh, Alan, is that we don't have a sex trafficking problem in beautiful, glorious America. So at least it's at least, you know, it's other countries and not America, right? Uh, you couldn't be more wrong, Jim. You read the book and you know that that's uh, you're, you're teeing me up with. A oh, you, right you know it, buddy. I'm teeing you up. Um, uh, the, you know, the big aha and our country is starting to wake up a little bit more and more. I'm seeing signs of that. But um you know, the United States is the biggest producer and consumer of uh, the, in the sex industry of sexual exploitation. And it makes perfect sense that sex trafficking would be big in this country. And it is. Um, the, the estimates would say there's some three or four hundred thousand children, minors being trafficked for sex in our country right now. And those are U.S. born American citizens. Now, there's kind of a disaster happening on our southern border right now, and there are a lot of people being smuggled and trafficked in. But the, by far the biggest percentage of trafficking victims we see are our kids from our communities that go to our schools. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an epidemic uh, of crisis proportions. And the average age is 12, you said in your book. The average age of entry is in that between 12 and 14 years old. That's when they get started. So uh, I think I mentioned this in the book at one point, uh, the youngest kiddo that, that we've been taking care of at Saving Innocence, when we met her, she was just seven, oh seven years gosh. old. And she was trafficked, bought and, so bought and sold for sex as a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old. And then we uh, you know, came in a relationship with her at seven, then she turned eight. I just saw a picture of her three years later. Now she just turned 13, or she'd be 11 big 11 year birthday party with a unicorn t-shirt and balloons and a cake. And, and we're helping to celebrate this little one. You just think what has gone wrong with humanity where not only a biological father would put his toddler up for sale, but there'd be a line of men waiting to pay him money so they could have some version of twisted sex with a child, a young little child. Well, it makes me sick. And what makes me sick you said you said a father, but I, I was shocked in the book to realize that the foster care system is a place where these kids are being trafficked. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so many of these kids have experienced an early childhood abuse, and that's partly what's made them vulnerable and therefore available. 
And so oftentimes it's their first encounter with uh, an abuse situation is from the people closest to them. And somewhere in the process, the child welfare system uh, gets a hold of them, separates them from their family, puts them in the foster care system. But for this child, 12, 13, 14, or 15 in the, in the foster care system, she may have never, like literally never seen a healthy male in her life. She's never been appropriately um, touched, if you will, by, by a healthy male. She's never been, um, you know, affirmed and encouraged and appreciated appropriately from a healthy male. So that child, as she grows, wants what all of us want. We want to be noticed and cared about and loved. We, all of us, everyone listening to this podcast right now wants that. And, and so for this 13 or 12 or 13 or 14 year old, she's uh, as vulnerable as they come because she can't tell the difference when it's off. She's never seen the good version of that. She can't tell the difference when somebody walks in her life and starts saying those things that, that, that they love her, that she's beautiful, that they want to have a life together with her. This is incredible for her. She's never even thought about that. She's dreamed about someone doing that. So she's more vulnerable than a kid who's coming from a healthy home. And uh, all the while, this this trafficker has bad intentions. He's planning on this. He's got his business model already ready. He's going to lure her in. It's called grooming. There's a grooming process where he gradually expands the boundaries in her mind of what's appropriate and what's possible. And when she's ready, then he springs it on her. I know where we can make a lot of money and we can do it quickly, but it'll just be for a little while. It's not going to last forever, which it will. Uh, but he tells her it, it won't be. And it, the, the really the interesting thing, the brainwashing, the manipulation, the abuse has taken its toll on this young child. And not only she can't she can't recognize it, but she might even be, quote unquote, a willing partner for what his plan is a trafficker because he loves me. He's my boyfriend. I'll do whatever he asked because he's the only one that's ever taken care of me and ever loved me. And I don't want to lose that. So she may or may not, she won't understand that she'd be bought and sold in traffic necessarily. And she won't even want to get out because the alternative is even worse. What's she going to do? Go out on the street, live by herself. She can't go back to her home. She was already raped and abused as a, as a young child. She has nowhere to go and no one's looking for her. It's just tragedy on top of tragedy on top of tragedy that us men have to be aware of and get involved in this fight. Well, you know, you said that us men need to get involved with and fight in this fight. You know, there, we believe that when a man gets it, everyone wins, but when he doesn't, things fall apart. There seems to be a certain profile of the young children who are actually trafficked, and you alluded to that a little bit. Are there any other predetermining factors that you see in a child who is trafficked? There are examples of anything you could you could bring at me. There are actual kidnappings like you'd see on TV, you know, a van drives up. There is some of that kind of thing in which they're indiscriminate. It's any kid. Uh, the, the main common denominator, though, for the largest piece of the pie chart is um, a child who's had this early adolescent abuse, a child who has made its way into the foster care system, a child who's uh, lacking. There's poverty involved usually. A lot of times there's tangible items, tangible needs the child has and is looking for any way to, to help that. Um, they're the kind of child slash victim where somebody can easily assert power over. And I haven't listened to that many of your podcasts. I've listened to a few of them, Jim, but you probably have covered somewhere in your conversation, the unjust, um, you know, kind of racial divide that exists and 
you know, God's heart on those kinds of issues. About 80% of our kids at Saving Innocence are young girls of color. And a large percentage of the buyers would be middle-aged white men, guys that look like you and me, Jim. And they can assert their power over this vulnerable child. And, and that's the biggest piece of the, the pie chart. Like I said, there are suburban girls. Most of them are girls. There are little boys, but most of them are young girls. There are suburban girls that kind of have everything. And they get lured in through social media. Guys, you need to be vigilant around your kids, your teenage kids. Uh, if, if you're going to let them have a smartphone, let them have social media. Uh, there's 900,000 predators, says the FBI, at any given time, trying to lure your child into a place that you don't want them to be. They're doing it right now. And they got a different picture on their profile. They're saying things. They're going to lure that child in. They're going to strike up a relationship on social media. And it's one step or two more. And their world is upside down. And they have no idea how they got there. Wow. So one of the things I, I think I missed here. I, maybe you mentioned it earlier, but you know, fifty percent of families get divorced, and fifty percent of those children won't see their dad for an entire year. And then you said uh, we in America, thirteen percent of our population is black. Eighty uh, percent of those trafficked are people of color, and so you have this massive discrimination or um, between the population base yeah. and those trafficked. I, I'm. You said here in your book, you, let me just read this to dads. Dads, I want you to listen to this. This is from the book. Quote, without the consistent influence of a strong father or father figure providing the proper perspective on media and keeping a watchful eye on harmful messaging, there is a destructive storm on the horizon. We see this calamity manifest itself in numerous ways. So when I hear you talk about this discrepancy between uh, racial divides, I have to go. I mean, I know there are a lot of variables there, but I have to think about fatherlessness. What's the effect of a father on the development of their children? It's absolutely massive. Um, and we talk about that quite a bit in the book in terms of a challenge for dads to get engaged in a deeper way. Um, you know, a father and a mother are both critical, but they're both different. Yeah. And a father brings something to the picture that, that a mom can't bring because she's not a man. She's not a father. For our little boys, our little boys desperately need to have a visual and experience of what it looks like to treat women with honor and respect. And so with a dad present, now that, that little boy can see how he treats his wife, his mom. He can see how he talks to the waitress at the restaurant. He can see the kinds of TV shows and music that are allowed in the house. And with a present and engaged dad, he can interpret all of those things. Hey, did you see what I did there? Yeah, You might now, technology, you know, when I grew up, you, you missed a TV show. It was gone forever. Now you just hit pause and you can hit pause, dad. You can sit on the couch with your little boy or your little girl and say a commercial just came on. And we, we would say they're selling sex. But actually, the commercial selling hamburgers. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can hit pause. <laughs> you can interpret what's happening for your son and your daughter and help them process all that's coming. And for your little girls, dads, they absolutely desperately need to understand what they can expect and how they can expect to be treated. You're going to set the bar in your little girl's life for the next boyfriend that comes around or the first boyfriend for that eventual husband that starts showing up. She's going to measure, in some ways, her value and her worth based on how you treat her. And how you treat her 
is going to determine the next trajectory of her life. So I couldn't, I couldn't say it strong enough. I've done a lot of work. I've met with a lot of dads in rooms and um, talked about their role, specifically with dads with daughters, uh, our young girls that we take care of saving innocence. And Jessica, my co-author, she talks about it some in the book, not having a dad present. You feel unprotected. You feel exposed. You feel like you're kind of on your own. And that doesn't mean that there aren't a bunch of great single moms through no fault of their own. The dad is an idiot and he left and he's pursuing his own selfish ambitions. And so mom's doing the best she can. Way to go, mom. That's great. Um, but without a healthy, strong male figure in that child's life, they're going to be missing out. And so I, I encourage single moms all the time. You're doing a great job. Thank you. You're awesome. Find a trusted male and appropriately have them be around your kids a little bit. You get to decide what that looks like. Dinner time together once in a while, a trip to the amusement park. These little boys and little girls need to see a healthy male in their life yep. um, to add to the missing ingredient. Mom, you're doing great. But without a dad, a child is vulnerable in ways you can't understand. Well, and you made a comment, Alan. You said with a dad present. Dad, listen, you may be home and in the house, yeah. but not present. You need to be present. There's a reason they call it mm -hmm. present because you are a gift to your children. You made a comment uh, just now, and in the book, you actually extended this comment out. So I'm going to repeat it and let you embellish. You said that she's going to measure. But in the book, you said uh, to be the kind of dad that she measures all other relationships against. Can you speak to that? Well, yeah, for sure. Uh, and like I said a minute ago, yeah. She's going to take her cues from the world as it's coming in and your boys too, but for your little girls. And so if we leave her to the mercy of the music scene and the media messaging and all the lyrics and all the twisted upside down messages on value and worth and all those kinds of things, if you're not present, that's we're leaving her to the wolves. We're letting her fend for herself and taking in all those messages on the internet and everything else. But for you dad to be, not just physically present. I'm glad you called that out, Jim. Emotionally present, spiritually present, engaged. Yes. Engage Maverick, right? The old Top Gun movie. They're yelling at Maverick. Engage Maverick. Engage. It's not good. Get in the fight. It's not good. It's and, not good. Um, we need dad to sit on the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching that. It's not going to get any better. I'm watching, Maverick. It. I'm watching it when it comes out. There's yeah. an action. <laughs> Talk to me, Goose. <laughs> Sorry. There, there's an actual. Yeah, there's an actual fight. Not far away from Maverick. If we're going to go down this little this little scene here, there's an actual fight, and he's looking at Goose's dog tags. He's consumed with his own stuff, and we have too many dads out there worrying about the next deal, the next venture, the thing they're going to buy, and maybe not bad intentions. They're trying to take care of their family. Yep. They're worried about their golf game or their poker buddies. They're they're living their life, and in some ways, and this happens, and I want to challenge dads when that daughter of yours gets to a certain age and starts developing into a young woman, oftentimes dads will pull back. Yes. And they'll kind of like, well, I can't talk about that woman stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my wife, that's your job. And dad separates, never, never understanding that she needs you more now than ever. She needs you more now, a healthy male who loves her in spite of her flaws. The world's telling her that she's not pretty enough. The world's telling her that, her breasts aren't big enough. The world's telling her that she's not, doesn't do anything good enough. That's the overall messaging. You're not enough. 100%. Now, dads, you have the privilege of a trusted, healthy male figure to walk with your daughter 
arm in arm, you know, figuratively or literally through all of that nonsense and reaffirm to her her measure of her value and her worth and who she belongs to and, and the kinds of things that she can and should expect from future boyfriends uh, and a future husband. Your, your grandkids. Well, thank you, dads, for um, showing your daughter what a healthy man looks like because she married a good man and you have a good son-in-law. Yeah. And now we've, we're impacting generations from this point forward. Yeah, you have a good son-in-law who she measured him against your example. So, hey, Dietrich, you, in your book, you quote, you have some great quotes in your book, by the way, but you quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer as saying, we are not to simply bandage the yeah. wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. I never have heard that quote before. That was beautiful. And I want to go to your hotline de description, hotline definition of sex trafficking. This was this was good for me to hear this because I'm often asking myself questions like, you know, this versus that, this versus this. So you really dialed it in. And I'm going to let you embellish on this in a second. You said, uh, quote, Commonly mistaken for prostitution, sex trafficking is a form of modern-day slavery in which traffickers use violence, threats, lies, debt bondage, and other forms of coercion to compel individuals to engage in commercial sex acts against their will. It exists not just abroad, but here in the United States. So can you embellish upon this definition? Because there are guys out there probably going, well, I just go to strip clubs or I just... I just, you know, buy porn or whatever. Can you can you embellish on this definition of sex trafficking? Yeah, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because my urgent message to men, they might have they might have heard what we've just been saying and they might have tuned out or even turned yeah. it off um, because they're thinking it's not for them. My urgent message for men is that we are absolutely all of us part of the problem. Um, sex trafficking, the federal definition has three important words, force, fraud, or coercion. Yes. And it's basically, as, it, as you just read, it's making someone, compelling someone to do something they don't want to do. Okay. Uh, make no mistake about it. No one is out there on their own free will, especially children. The federal age of consent is 18 years old. By definition, they cannot consent to the felony being perpetrated against them. They're there against their will. By definition, they're being raped. It's non-consensual sex. Yes. Uh, for an adult, there's a common word called prostitution or a prostitute, and that's a commonly expect, accepted word in legal terms. We don't use that word really very much unless we're having a legal kind of a conversation in some ways um, because almost all of those women that are out there, it started when they were a child, and we could peel that onion as to where they got in the mental space, but the word prostitute suggests choice suggests like this is what I'm doing for my career choice kind yeah. of thing. And that's not true. 89% of all women in the sex industry want to get out. They just don't see any way to get out. Much like Rachel didn't see any way to get out. She needs someone to fight for her. 89%. I yeah. So that was a question I had. I didn't know what the percentage was. So 89% are there against their will. Yeah. And that's the, the overall sex wow. industry. So, if, well, so here's the thing. My urgent message to men is it's, it's not simply going down that rabbit hole, finding a girl on the internet or on the street, putting down your money for 20 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever it is, and being a, a traffic, a sex buyer in that way. It's not just that. That's the worst possible example of men mostly gone wrong. But you mentioned the word strip club earlier. You could go into a strip club 
and be sitting in the audience and a woman is on the stage dancing around. Guess what? You're a sex buyer. That's a commercial sex act. You paid money to get in there and she's being exploited on that stage. Yes, you are. Most of them don't want to be there. There might be a small percentage of women that would say, no, I wanted this. I make my money. Then we'd have to look closer into her story as to why she's saying that. Most of them flat out don't want to be there. You're a sex buyer. And, yeah. and then, Jim, we can't we can't have yep. this conversation about exploitation to men and not talk about pornography. I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast before. What 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 I need men to understand is that the vast majority of anyone you see in pornography is being coerced in some way. They don't want to be there in some way. And in some cases are actually being trafficked into it, literally being owned by that third party controller forced wow. to go into a, a motel room or a, some kind of a movie set raped over and over again. One of our survivors in the book you, that you read said, every time someone watches that video, they're watching me being raped. So, Guys, like I, I, I want to figuratively get reach in this wow. computer and shake all of us men because I know that so many men and so many pastors and so many cops and so many dentists and literally coaches and regular guys are, if not actually addicted to pornography, they're casually using it. And the problem with pornography is this. Oh, there's a lot of problems. This problem is you have no way of knowing who on the screen is being forced to be there or is there in their own free will? And most of them are being forced. So I'm no lawyer, Jim. I'm sure you have lawyers that are listening right now, but I'm pretty sure non-consensual sex is called rape. So fellas, we're going to be sitting on our couch. The wife has gone to bed late at night. We open up our phone or our computer, and we're going to find some kind of enjoyment or gratification over watching somebody get raped. Wow. Is, is this what we're doing? Is this what we're doing as a species? Like, are, are you kidding me? So... And you might say, I'm not paying for it. It's not a sex act, a uh, sex buying act. They are monetizing you because you show up in their website analytics. They are selling your clicks and your eyeballs. That's how they make their money. They're making money off you participating in porn, or should I say participating in rape. You're an accomplice to a crime. It's a crime scene. There should be yellow police tape around your computer right now. Guys, turn it off. Walk away. Get some help because it's an absolute travesty against mankind man this is good man i really appreciate this there's some great insight here so martin luther king jr you quote again in your book and you and he said this and i thought this was very very powerful our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter and then you go into the uh you talk about the purpose of your book and you say that you want men to rise up and be the kind of men they were intended to be. Then you continued, you said, the lack of authentic, healthy, and positive masculinity has reached a crisis point in our country. And if we can get enough men to rise up, lead and serve as they're meant to, one of the many results of those actions will be the end of human trafficking. It's not someone else's job. It is ours. Is there anything you want to add there, Alan? Yeah, I, I I love that quote. That's why I oh, put yeah. it in there. And I sort of have the image that, you know, MLK says our our lives begin to end. That tells me it doesn't end on day one. It begins to end like we are slowly dying. We've we're given our, our heart, our mind and our soul over to some darkness. And we are slowly dying because we we continue to be silent about things that matter. 
And I, I know you talk to a lot of men of faith on this podcast, of which I am one of them. And I can't imagine anything that God would care more about. I don't want to put words in the mouth of the God of the universe, but he he spoke for himself when Jesus is sitting around with a bunch of children and he's telling everybody, you got to be like them if you want to see the kingdom of God. You got to be like them. And he's aligning himself with children. You don't need to be a theologian to come up with that nugget out of scripture. And so I just, there, there's a crisis happening in our in our world, but in our country. And we need men to step up. And I actually believe it, this can end. I believe it can end. And the solution is men. Uh, you know, last year, Jim, I had a little spot on my forehead that doctor didn't like. He said, let me test it. He cut it out. He said, yeah, a little piece of skin cancer. Come on back in. We're going to dig it out. And something dawned on me. When you can define and isolate a problem, whether it's mechanically with your car, whether it's your body or whatever it might be, if you know what the problem is, now you can you can create yes. a remedy that actually works, that's actually effective. Well, in this case, the problem, the problem is men. If you aren't actively part of the problem, most of your listeners probably aren't all that much. You're passively yeah. letting it happen. We as men have passively looked the other way and we've allowed this to happen. This is happening. That's on us, guys. It, it's, it's up to us to fix it. Well, you talk about uh, in the last quote and throughout the book, this concept of authentic masculinity. And then you said something which I wholeheartedly, passionately agree on so much. So I wrote a book about it called Strong Men, Dangerous Times. But you said this, when it comes to masculinity, the lines have been blurred. On a regular basis, we are inundated with inauthentic counterfeit versions of masculinity that are harmfully toxic. We desperately need an infusion of the real thing into our culture. So what does an authentic man look like? In chapter four of the book, it's called Man to Man. And this is where, where me, I'm using my male voice in a big way. And I just humbly share what me and a couple of buddies did for our, our boys at the starting at about age five. And um, we read a great book, uh, Raising a Modern Day Knight. You probably have read that, Jim, or know of it. And, but it, it it challenged us. And so we got a lot of our ideas from, from that book. And one of the ideas was to create a definition. What does it mean to be a real man? Like nobody knows what it means to be a real man. Is it the first time you have sex? Does that mean you're a man? That's what culture would want you to believe. Is it an age, 18 or 21 or whatever it is? What does it mean to be a real man? So we decided to give our boys a gift of clarity. And we created a four kind of pillar, four pronged approach. And we say, this is what it means to be a man. We're going to celebrate him when we see him. We're going to lovingly correct when we don't see him. And this is going to be our working definition. And so we call authentic masculinity, the healthy version, the, the positive version that brings peace and life back to a, a dying and decaying world. And it's a man who, one, accepts responsibility. He accepts responsibility. Yep. He doesn't run from his responsibilities. Not only the things that are right there directly on his responsibility, he takes responsibility for his community, his neighborhood. Maybe the world. You step into a bigger fight, a bigger job when you're accepting responsibility. This is on us. Uh, he he also leads courageously. We need courageous leaders. If you're if you're really guys, if you're really gonna be inspired by this conversation, I hope you all get the book, read the book, and you're gonna enter this fight for real. It's gonna take courage because you're gonna have to stand up to your friends, and they're not all gonna like it. You're gonna have to vote a different way in elections. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to say and do different things on social media if you want to be part mm -hmm, of the solution. Mm -hmm. And um, the commandant of the Marine Corps wrote a great book called Warfighting. 
And he says, uh, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to overcome and work through the fear. So you can be a little nervous or timid on something and still be courageous yep. at the same time. So he acts, he accepts responsibility. He leads courageously and he lives a life of service. Okay. The, all this, by the way, starts at home. Spoiler alert, look in the mirror. All these principles start at home with your wife and your kids. And then they go outward from there. Serve your family, serve your kids, serve your wife, serve your neighborhood, serve your community. And then the, the fourth pillar is a little more abstract, but it, it, it's, it goes like this. He understands that who he is is more important than what he does. Like you can pick whatever job you want, whatever vocation it is. What's most important is your inward self, your identity, your character, your integrity, your honesty. All those things are more important than the stuff you do. And so we were living that out with our boys, you know, about, uh, you know, once a month and once a quarter, we'd have a different little study on each of those things. We always brought food and did something fun because they're boys. But um, that's a world that I want to live in because a world where there's enough men living out those pillars and you could add a couple of your own if you want, but that's, there's no room for exploitation and trafficking and sexual abuse. When there's a bunch of men, when we get over that tipping point, and enough men are living that out specifically. It's in the book. Read some more of it. Uh, I humbly offer it as a tool. If we get enough men living that out, then guess what? Uh, a lot of bad things go away. And, um, and I'll just add this, Jim. One more thing. I quoted a friend of mine in that chapter who's a Secret Service agent for 25 years. And uh, he said something really fascinating to me. He Because uh, in the part of the job of the Secret Service, when they're uncovering and breaking up counterfeit you know, currency rings, he said, we spend 90% of our time studying the real thing yep, and only 10% yep. of our time studying the possible counterfeits are out there. And he said, and, and, he, and he said, he said, uh, if, if we become so intimately aware of and, and, and educated and intelligent on the authentic bill, the counterfeit stands out a hundred miles away. And so dads, guess what? You need to be the authentic man in your home. Spend 90% of your time letting your kids see you live your life out loud. Let them see you take your wife out on a date night and give her a hug and a kiss in their presence. Let them see you affirm and, and appreciate your children and cheer them on because now they're going to be able to spot the counterfeit 100 miles away, the counterfeit male that's out there that, that wishes them harm. So we have a big job and we don't have a minute to waste. No, that's really good, man. You know, in 2000 and oh, probably one. I was introduced to Robert Lewis's stuff because some of my boys in my youth group were using it with their dads. And in 2007, I read the book and I thought, okay, I did what you did. I thought I like his definition, but I don't love it because his was uh, resisting, uh, resisting passivity, accepting responsibility, leading courageously, inspecting a different reward. And then you guys changed it. And I actually wrote a book. It was a number one bestseller on Amazon called Strong Men, Dangerous Times. And we used the five five things, but the catalyst of that was the book I read from Robert years ago. So this is just great, great material. Yeah. Now, there is something about your book that was missing. I'm sure it was missing on purpose. So I have a question, and I know the men have a question too. <laughs> You've done a great job of expressing your passion. I mean, I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. But you never actually in the book told us what you did. To rescue the girls. I know that was on purpose, but do you mind telling us now, or are you not at liberty to do that because of your tactics? Uh, no, I can, I mean, I can tell you a, a certain amount. We're, we're, we're saving innocence. Savinginnocence.org is our website. You can check yeah. us out. There's videos there to watch and learn more things about us. Um, we're contracted by the county 
to be first responders when um, someone in the county, law enforcement or otherwise, um, intervenes with a trafficking victim. And we show up within 90 minutes anywhere in Los Angeles. And if you're familiar with Los Angeles, that's no small thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And we step into the life of that child in that moment and walk with her and get her everything she needs for as long as she needs it until she doesn't need it anymore. And sometimes that's a couple of years of helping to rehumanize her in that way. And we work hand in hand, cell phones of the cops, and we'll know things. Uh, maybe one of our kids will get kidnapped or something, and we'll be communicating with that child, and we'll relay the information to, to our law enforcement partners, and they get their team together, and they go break down the door. And so there's some stuff like that that happens that um, is pretty cool and pretty rewarding when that happens. Um, but that's, that's the essence of it. Well, I'll tell you what, I really appreciate what you guys do and, and your, your audience, our, our audience really in a lot of ways are the men that, that you're, you're seeing as the perpetrators. In fact, in your book, you said this, this was really disturbing for me to read this. You said, when we asked the perpetrators or sex buyers, if they had known that many of the women were being trafficked and didn't want to be there, would they have changed anything? And these men said, no, no, they would not have cared because they wanted what they came for. And it was all about them. And the thing that's disturbing is that you would think these are some isolated guys alone in their apartment. Nobody knows them kind of hermits, Herbert, her hermits, perverts. But in your book, you said this in our experience, interviewing men who are formant former or current buyers, the men who weren't, the, these men weren't isolated because most had wives and children or were in long-term relationships. So these guys have a their little 12-year-old Susie in the house and they're going over and paying to have sex with another little 12 or 13-year-old girl. I mean, these are guys that when we look at these guys on the streets, we have no idea who they are. They look like us. And that's disturbing. That's exactly right. Now, it is disturbing. And I would say this. If you're listening to the sound of my voice right now, you actually know a sex buyer. You just might not know it. Someone you know is buying sex. And um, uh, if you go to our website, again, savingus.org, right on the homepage, right on the front there, there's a little carousel. And there's a video there by, honestly, one of my all-time favorite humans. She's a survivor who's traveling from 11 to 15. She tells her story on this video. And I can't remember if she says it in this video or not. I think she did. But um, she was trafficked, posted up in a motel room across the street from Disneyland as a 12-year-old. And there were oftentimes, I mean, the, the, the whole that whole business for them in that moment was some dad is there at Disneyland with his family. He's got his kids and he's going to go back to the motel and take a nap. He's not feeling well or something. Leaves the wife and the kids in Disneyland, goes and rapes a 12-year-old. In, in a motel across the street from Disneyland, gets up, cleans himself off, goes back to the park and gets on. It's a small world of the Matterhorn with his wife and kids. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, again, at some point, at some point, you're shaking your head saying, well, what are we even doing? And uh, we need a lot of men accepting some responsibility and leading courageously to intervene uh, in situations like this. Well, and uh, we had a guy on a podcast way back when we first started, Bo Quickle. He's got a ministry called Vigilante Justice. He goes to truck stops and he lures guys into room the room. They think they're going in to be with a prostitute. Then he walks out. Talk about shock and awe. 
And then we had another guy on who goes in and rescues Filipino yeah. girls out of bars. But you talked about in your book that, you know, these, these places are all the, the, the places that we see this happen all the time are things like golfing tournaments, professional golf tournaments, professional football games. You said you think that the Super Bowl that just came and went was a massive influx of trafficking at these events. I mean, this is, what do you want to say to this? This is just, I'm speechless actually. And I'm appalled that men would do this yeah. to people. These aren't men. These are males. Uh, this is a economically driven crime. Like most crimes are, there's no care and concern for the victim. She's just a commodity. She's just a ATM machine. And, and so that business model is going to follow large groups of men mostly. So yeah, the Super Bowl is a worldwide destination of entertainment and people are flying in from around the country. They've got money in their pocket. They obviously have a lot of money because they're going to the Super Bowl and they spent 10 grand on a ticket and hotels and food. Now there's a small percentage of those men that want to add to their entertainment. They want to buy sex. And sometimes they specifically want a minor, not, not necessarily, but I wouldn't want your listeners to feel like, well, the Super Bowl is not coming anywhere close to me ever or not anytime soon it's it's any it's any event it's 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 any event <laughs> yeah it's a, yeah a, you know a computer show it's a convention or there's no event at all it's just where you in your town where you live uh we because we're in la we have lots of big events i could i wouldn't i mean i could because i i have it but i wouldn't show you this picture but a couple of years ago the nba all-star game was played at, at, in la and there's a picture of one of our kids holding a fistful of money because she'd been out working uh, in and around the NBA All-Star Game. It's like a big thing. A lot of people are traveling. They're going to go do it. We have spikes in our calls around the World Series, and the World Series was just here. So it definitely follows those big events. There's a lot of out-of-towners that have an entertainment on their mind, and not all guys obviously are doing this, but there's a percentage of it. And it is sickening. Sickening is the right word. I hope your listeners don't sleep for a week. I hope I hope you I hope if I were to see you listeners a week from now, you'd have bags under your eyes and your hair would be messed up and you're saying, I, I can't even sleep. What am I gonna do? Great. I don't want to help you with that. Stay in that stew, stay in that mess right now. And in that darkness, you'll find out what you can do. And, and spoiler alert, it starts with you. Get our book, Shameless Plug. The proceeds go to survivors of trafficking. Go to fightforme.net. That's a little website, fightforme.net. And these survivors. They're on there. Their books, their websites are, are linked to it. There's pornography resources are linked to it. Biographies, resources, and get this doggone book and let it rattle your let it rattle your cage a little bit. And you can email me, and I'd love to follow up as well. Well, so that's where I'm going to call you out here. So you said you hope that they go without sleep for a week, and I okay. disagree. Here's what I think you really want. You said this in your book. You said, what are you fighting for? What are you living for? What are you ready to die for? Then here's what you said. You said, I am looking for men who are in search of real life, true life, authentic life, and authentic masculinity. Only then can we dream better for a better world free from injustice. And I would argue with you that you would rather, instead of guys going a week without sleep, you would rather have these guys go instantly and step up to the plate and jump in the game, get in the arena, yeah. and fight for these young gals. Am I right? You're not wrong. I would just say for the very first time guy who's the guy who's taking this in 
Okay. He might need to stew on it for a minute. He might need to pray about it. He might he might have to look in the mirror. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? And that might take it might be one minute. It might be one day. It might be a week. So you pick the time increment. At the end of that time increment, we need a bunch of strong men to get out there and make something happen. No, I agree. I agree, hundred percent, man. I was just I was just trying to get you a little fired up because you seem a little bit yeah. lethargic right now. You know, but I mean, this is a huge problem, Alan. I appreciate your passion. You know, I think that we all need to have that Popeye moment in our life where we say, hey, that's all I can stand. I can't stand anymore. And I'm hoping that two different guys I'm talking to right now, first of all, you're involved as a sex buyer. I'm hoping that you repent, that you come clean, that you confess it, that you get healing. And the number two guy I'm talking about is that guy who you have no passion for anything. And God today in this podcast is asking you to step up and battle, go to fight for these young women who are being exploited and trafficked and young boys, people who are being sexually exploited. So Alan, uh, how can, so, so one of those guys is listening. He wants to jump in. He's got a squirt gun. He's filled it with water, man. He wants to charge hell with a squirt gun. How can he get involved in your organization? Go to savinginnocence.org. Get on our mailing list. Uh, follow us on social media at saving innocence and on the website, there's five or six videos there posted survivors telling their stories. Those of us on staff talking about it. Step one is just get a little bit educated. Like don't just run out there half crazy. Uh, this is a serious situation. It requires serious people. Uh, yep. And these traffickers aren't playing. We, we've had a number of our kids literally murdered uh, in the last couple of months. And uh, if we start, if we start, messing with these traffickers business model, uh, they are ruthless. And so I wouldn't want anyone to do something stupid. So get a little bit educated, go to the website, look at everything, go to fightforme.net, look at everything, read the books and go on a little, go on a little Google rabbit hole. And, uh, there's a number of documentaries you could look at. Uh, I'd offer nefarious is the name of it made by an organization called Exodus cry. It's about 10 years old. It's kind of one of the first ones of these. Um, just get a little bit, uh, sort of educated and in the book, Jim, that you read, I don't, I don't want to keep coming back to the book necessarily, but we've made it on purpose and made it real practical and tangible. There's a, there's a giant appendix full of resources. 12 things you can do today is in there. In chapter eight, um, there's a, a ton of remedies. Okay. Pick one, pick two or three. And there's the macro and the micro. There's the ultimate Solution. I went so far to say I know the ultimate solution to this broken world related to trafficking. And spoiler alert, guys, it involves you and me looking in the mirror. So that's what I would say. Go to those websites, go on a rabbit trail, buy the book, and you're going to be inundated with information and stories you got to process. So it might take you a week <laughs> to do all that. Or if you're crazy, run, do it, start right now, but be careful. Well, and I, I want to add that I'm going to take those points at the end of your book. And I'm going to put those into a blog that all of our guys will get to see that with links to your stuff. And then that movie, Nefarious, right. guys, will be in the show notes. So you can go to our show notes and you can look that up. And I just want to conclude with this, Alan. You know, this is not to the to the sex trader, to this guy, this pimp or whatever you want to call him. This is not about emotion. This is not about caring. These are these young people are slaves. They're tools. This is completely economically driven. So until guys who believe in Jesus, who believe in this cause, step up, 
it is going to continue to exploit these little girls 10, 12, 14 times a day without a day off unless guys step up to the plate, repent of their sin, and step into this space and say, I'm going to be a part of the solution and not the problem because when a man gets it, everyone wins. So guys, your action step this week, I want you to go research Saving Innocence at savinginnocence.org. Check those guys out. Find a way that you can get in the game and go to battle for this great cause. So, hey, again, thanks so much, Alan, for coming on our show. I love your passion. I, lo I love what you're doing, man. We just want to partner with you guys. So thank you so much. Sure appreciate your time on our show today. Loved being with you today, Jim. Let's do it again. All right. You got it, brother. Hey, guys, make sure you head on over to meninarena.org. Grab your free copy of my book. Tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters. This will help you battle the cause at home. And while you do that, sign up to join one of our many virtual teams by clicking the Join Our Program button. Guys, until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Fight for these people and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.